Hello, welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Horizon Church in Allentown, Pennsylvania. We want to help people connect with God and connect with each other. If you'd like to know more about us, you can go to our website at horizonconnect.org. Enjoy. So let's pray and then we'll, we'll begin. God, thank you for the chance we've had in uh, the last few minutes, both to express our affection to you through what we got to sing, to be reminded of truth in our singing. And God, I thank you for the, the gift of uh, you know, the, the men and women who every week work hard to lead us and direct us in our singing. Thank you, God, for that experience. God, I also thank you for the chance we've had briefly to connect with each other and to chat and to see people that we haven't seen for a week in some cases and just to enjoy each other's company. God, I also thank you that um, we get to enjoy your company. Uh, I know, God, that when we leave here, even if we don't see each other as people, that you don't stay here, but that you are present with us always and continually, God, and I am so grateful for that. God, I don't quite understand how you do it. I know that through your spirit, you're present with all of us, completely. It's not like we get a little slice of you, but you're present in our lives and we have all of you, but so do other people. But God, I also think, and my experience is that somehow when we get together that you, um, you find a way to be present in a unique way. And, and I'm so grateful for how you do that. And God, I'm, I'm grateful for that, especially right now, because uh, both up, up here and downstairs, there's a lot of teachers who are, we're going to begin teaching, and we're teaching from your word. And God, I know that it is so easy for us as teachers to uh, get off track or sometimes say things that we might believe, or maybe we are teaching something that we're not even sure of. And God, I think that there's no doubt that sometimes we who teach, sometimes we say things that aren't accurate. God, I'm grateful that we can ask you to protect all of us from being influenced the wrong way if we teach anything wrong. And I pray that you'll do that up here. I pray that you'll do that downstairs with our kids. But God, I'm also grateful that when we are faithful to your word, when we teach truth from the youngest kids on up to the oldest person in this room, you take truth, you invade Through your spirit, you invade our spirit and our minds and our bodies and our souls, and you're in the process of transforming us into the people that we want to be and that you want to be. And God, I I pray you'll do that one more time this morning. Now, we're going to talk about this morning about something so significant about how to connect with you as we finish the series we've been talking about for a while. God, I pray... I, I have no doubt that there's a couple people here who are struggling with that, not sure that they want to connect with you, not sure that they believe that you are, not sure that they know how to connect. So God, I pray for clarity this morning, and I pray, God, that your spirit would be at work drawing people to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Um, this last week, early in the week, my computer told me that I needed to uh, clean out my email box, my email inbox, or I would no longer be able to receive any emails. And 
Um, I have to confess for a couple minutes, I was thinking about how nice it would be not to clean out my inbox uh, and not get emails anymore. But then after thinking about it a couple minutes, I realized I really don't want to miss any more opportunities to collect $11 million from a Nigerian prince that keeps wanting to give me money. So um, I, I cleaned out my inbox. But in the process of doing that, kind of one email at a time, I came across an email from October 2018 from somebody here at Horizon, and the message was short enough that the whole message fit in the subject line, and it read simply, are we friends? Three simple words, are we friends? And the question was odd enough that it made me pause in my, you know, delete, okay, delete, okay, delete, okay thing that I was doing with all the emails. And it made me um, try to remember why she asked that question. And for a couple seconds, honestly, my stomach was twisted in knots because I was trying to remember what had happened between us that made her ask, are we friends? And it turns out, after doing a little bit of sleuthing on email, it turned out it was a simple Facebook question because she wanted to send me something and was wondering, are we Facebook friends? But I have to admit, there was a couple seconds um, when I was wondering, I don't remember, but what happened between us that made her ask if we were friends? And it was not a pleasant few seconds because that has happened for real in the past several times. There's a handful of people who um, used to come to Horizon with whom I am no longer friends. Um, something about me or something about how I do this job or something about my convictions about this job or something about, frankly, just my own failures and limitations about how I do this job has caused several friendships to end. And so in answer to the question, are we friends, I'm pretty sure that there's a handful of people that would say no, not anymore. Now I know, I know that if we met in the ice cream aisle at Weiss Markets that, that we would say hi to each other and we would chat probably somewhat uncomfortably about our kids and our grandkids and how's the church. but we don't do dinners anymore together. We certainly won't hug affectionately. And we're no longer part of each other's lives in the way we once were. And it's been heartbreaking. And it hurts a lot. And my guess, all of us have had that experience. We've all had the experience of friendships that have gone south. And it hurts a lot, doesn't it? Hurts. Now, if you were going to try and fix those friendships, if you're going to try to fix those relationships that have broken, it would require a process of what we call reconciliation. Because reconciliation is the necessary task of building broken relationships. When it comes to reconciliation, reconciliation happens when we have to fix a relationship that once was good, but now is broken. Reconciliation is not how a relationship starts, it's how we 
fix what got broken. But with God, it is entirely different. When it comes to God, reconciliation is how our relationship starts. It's not as if we had a good one that got broken. Our relationship with God starts out broken. And in fact, for a lot of people, it doesn't start out at all. There isn't one to begin with. So if we're going to connect with God and have a relationship, it has to start with reconciliation. Now, if you've been part of Horizon for the last couple of months, you know that for two months now, we have been talking about how do I connect with God? How do I have a relationship with God? And I have tried to be as practical as possible in talking about how do we connect and have a relationship with an invisible God? And when we started this series about how to connect with God, way, way back on January 12th, we started by saying that there is something between us, between us and God. And that if we're going to have a relationship, we have to deal with what it is that's between us. It has to start with reconciliation. So we're finishing that series today. Today we're moving on after today from this concept of how do we connect with God. But that concept is so important. It is so important to understand that a relationship with God is going to start through reconciliation, that we're actually going to go back to the beginning. We're going to revisit what we talked about and talk about the fact that any connection with God is going to have to start with reconciliation. So here's where we're going. We're going to the book of 2 Corinthians in the Bible. Um, The guy who wrote this, um, a guy named Apostle Paul, um, or Paul, Paul... um, Paul had a church in Corinth, a group of Christians, that he deeply loved. Now, it turns out that his own relationship with these people, with this Christian church, this relationship uh, that he had with them was severely strained already. Um, I don't quite understand it, but if we get what Paul's dealing with, for whatever reason, the people in the city of Corinth were questioning his faith for various reasons. So in an effort that Paul was making to actually reconcile with this church, Paul is going to take the time to explain his life and his faith and what motivates him. And it turns out that in in an effort to reconcile with them, Paul is actually going to say that what his whole life has been about, what his entire ministry has been about, is an effort to convince people to be reconciled with God. And I understand that, and I get that. So let's read what Paul has to say um, to this group of people as he's pleading with them to be reconciled to him, but also to be reconciled with God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I'm going to start reading um, at verse 11. So because we, Paul speaking for himself and his friends, because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade other people. God knows we're sincere, and I hope that you know this too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? No, we're giving you a reason to be proud of us so that you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry 
rather than having a sincere heart. If it seems we're crazy, it's to bring glory to God. And if we're in our right minds, it's for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we've all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating ourselves from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. And this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we're Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the sin offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. You know, I got a text from uh, somebody from church just this past week, and it was a very simple text. Some text somebody asked me, um, when somebody asks you about your faith, how do you answer? So I texted back one word, and it was something like, um, Hindu slammionity or something like that. Um, but before I could reply honestly, she texted back and said, no, really. And there were no little smiling emoji- emojis, so I don't think she appreciated my attempt at humor. Obviously, neither do you. But... Um, <laughs> I really, really wish that I had a good way to answer that question. When somebody asks about our faith, how do you answer? Because whenever we try to answer that question, it always comes down to this discussion about what we believe compared to what somebody else believes. Almost as if our faith is all about what we believe. And I guess it is to a degree... But when we talk about it that way, when we say, well, here's what I believe, it almost ends up as if we're talking about, you know, our preferred political parties or whether or not you happen to believe in man-made global warming or any other number of beliefs that divide us into tribes based on what we believe. Here's what I believe, and that makes me a Christian, and here's what you believe, and that makes you something else. So let me say this as clearly as I know how. It's absolutely true that we Christians believe certain things. But at its core, 
Christianity is not about holding to a set of beliefs. Christianity at its core is about a relationship with God. It is not about trying to get somebody to believe the right things. It is about a relationship with God. Now, it is absolutely true that that relationship is going to be far different than any other relationship you will ever have with anybody else on earth, which is why it was necessary to spend a whole lot of time talking about how do we have this relationship with God. But at its core, Christianity is about a relationship with God, period. And if you remove that relationship and you are left with a set of beliefs, and that's what you have, throw it out. It is of no value. It's like discussing whether or not you believe aliens exist somewhere in the universe, and that might be great dinner table conversation, but it changes not a thing in your life. Christianity is about a relationship with God. So, for example, there was a time when somebody came to Jesus, actually not one time, but multiple times, somebody came to Jesus and said, Rabbi, what's the greatest commandment in Scripture? Now, obviously, this was a conversation that was going on in the Jewish faith. It was a debate about Jewish Scripture, which is our Old Testament, It was something that the Jews had been debating for centuries. What's the greatest commandment in Scripture? By the time that Jesus came around, it was actually a settled debate. They decided on the answer. Every good Jew knew the answer to that question. Many of you know the answer to that question, and so did Jesus. So Jesus answered the question, well, the greatest commandment in Scripture is this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And there is another like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and all the prophets hang on these two commands. And whenever that conversation came up for Jesus, not one Jewish rabbi ever debated it with Jesus because that was the right answer and it was true and everybody knew it. But I want you to pay particular attention to that very last sentence of Jesus after he quoted Jewish scripture when Jesus said to his listeners, every law, all the prophets hang on these two commands. What he was saying to the Jews is our whole faith hangs on those two statements. Everything we do, Every prayer we pray, every sacrifice we make in the temple, every shekel of offering that we give, every second we spend reading and studying Torah, every good deed we do hangs from those two simple statements, love God and love others. And what are those two statements about? Relationships. Love God love others. Now, follow this. This is important. What is it that makes reconciliation necessary if we're going to begin a relationship with God? 
Well, what makes it necessary is that you could take those two statements from Scripture, love God and love others, and you could actually turn them upside down, and you could also say that everything that we do wrong is a failure of relationships. Because what we failed to do is to love God. And what we failed to do is to love other people. Does that make sense? Good. I can breathe easier now. <laughs> so what makes reconciliation necessary is that we failed in two big ways. To love God and to love others. Now, in the Bible, there is a very general word for this. Frankly, in the Bible, there's dozens of words for this, but there's one general word, and for the sake of simplicity's sake, that one general word is the word sin. Now, sometimes we think that sin comes from kind of a list or kind of a catalog of things that God doesn't like. And I suppose there's a grain of truth in that, but at its core... What scripture is telling us is that sin is ultimately a relationship word. Sin is a word that describes broken relationships. That's why uh, maybe the greatest hero in the Old Testament, um, King David, shepherd boy, uh, Goliath slayer, when David was found to have sinned in a horrific way, he wrote Psalm 51 as his confession. And in Psalm 51, he said, Oh Lord God, Against you, and against only you, I have sinned. I've sinned against you. That's a description of a relationship problem. I have sinned against you. And what is needed to fix a relationship problem? Reconciliation. Now, I think it's important to understand from what Paul wrote in chapter 5 of, of 2 Corinthians, that when it comes to reconciliation, God is actually offering us reconciliation. It's something he's saying to us, you can be reconciled and I'm giving it to you. And his motive, of course, Paul said, his motive is love. He said it in, in 2 Corinthians 5. He said, "My Christ's love compels us to do this. And reconciliation comes to us as a gift from God. This is something that God does for us. He said in 2 Corinthians 5 again that all this is a gift from God, that God was in Christ reconciling us to himself. That's the way he wrote it. But here's the thing. Reconciliation is always going to come with a cost. It always always does, it always has a cost, and the cost of reconciliation is that something will have to die. Uh, take my former friends, the people I'm meeting in the ice cream aisle at Weiss's. Were we to reconcile, the cost for that reconciliation might be that somebody's ego is going to have to die or pride, or selfishness. 
Or take any relationship that's been broken. Any relationship that's been broken. Let's say you have a relationship that's been broken because of an affair or an addiction or a misunderstanding or lying or anything. And the relationship is broken and here you are, you're going to fix it. You're going to be reconciled. And so you sit down with somebody and you say, will you forgive me? Or maybe that person is saying to you, will you forgive me? If you're going to be reconciled, what has to die for forgiveness to happen? Well, what has to die is that desire you have in your soul to get even, to make that person pay, to want to hurt that person. You simply cannot forgive a person and hang on to that desire to get even. It won't work. It has to die. So forgiveness is never going to come cheaply and it's never going to come easily. Something has to die. And I suppose if you're sitting here as a Christian, you probably already know where we're headed. For God to offer us reconciliation, something will have to die. And something did. Or someone did. The cross is what makes reconciliation possible. In fact, the cross is the only thing that makes reconciliation possible. Now, you might say, if you're kind of on the outside looking at this, you might say, well, that's a little bit extreme, isn't it? The cross thing, God surrendering his son to die, isn't that overdoing it? Well, maybe you haven't thought very much about sin about how badly we've ruined our relationships, both with God and with each other. It didn't take me long at all to think about how deeply and how badly all it took was one click to open up my news feed on Thursday morning to be reminded about how badly we've gone wrong. I was reading um, this past week when I clicked on my news feed, learning about the horrendous sin of a man named Jean Venier. Um, there's a few of you here who will know that name, John Veneer. Um, Veneer was a leader in the Catholic Church. He died just this past year at the age of 90. John Veneer, frankly, was a hero to many, many thousands of people, way, way, way beyond the Catholic Church. In the 1960s, John Veneer started Uh, communities of people, not homes exactly. He started communities of people, uh, people who had intellectual disabilities. Uh, The communities he started were called, if I I don't know how to say this correctly, but La Arche communities. Um, And he was so effective at beginning these communities that they grew exponentially. And there's now more than 150, way more than 150 La Arche communities in 38 countries, five different continents around the world. There were not many Christians on this globe who did the good that John Veneer did for people. But now it's known, within the last little while it's come out, that Veneer had this horrifically dark side. There were at least six women, and certainly without doubt, many, many others who are in hiding and in the dark 
But there are at least six women who have come out and have told very sickening stories about abuse from veneer. And the evidence is certain, there's no doubt. Veneer used his religious pedestal to guilt these women into sexual relationships over a whole lot of years. He used his power. He used the power of faith. He used the power of guilt. He used the power of manipulation, the power of his platform. He used religious threats to satisfy his own perverted sexual desires. And in the process of doing that, he destroyed the faith and he damaged the souls of dozens of women. So what's the cost of his sin? What's the cost of that? Is there an amount of money that can fix it? Is there time in prison that will make it go away? Sin is deep and dark and deadly and powerful. And if it's going to be undone, something or someone will have to die. Same day, same news feed. I don't know if you're aware of what's going on in Serbia right now. Back in the 1950s and 60s and into the 70s, when Serbia was part of what was then called Yugoslavia, which was part of, back then, the Communist Soviet Union, moms in Serbia would go to the hospitals to deliver what they believed were healthy babies. The babies would be born and taken to the nursery, and shortly thereafter, a nurse would come in and tell the mom that her baby had died. The moms were never allowed to see their babies. There was never a body. There was never a death certificate. They were never told where their babies were buried. Now, many of those moms were pretty sure that their baby hadn't died, but that there was an organized criminal element in collusion with the communist government, and they had simply stolen their babies and sold them. Now, this happened thousands of times. Now, in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s, these moms had no legal options. The system was too big, too powerful, too dark, too impersonal. But about 15 years ago, with the newfound freedoms in Serbia, these moms started speaking out. There is now absolutely no doubt that, in fact, their babies had been stolen and sold in many cases, to Americans wanting to adopt babies thousands of times. The Serbian government has recently passed laws meant to enable these women to get justice. So these moms have been offered the equivalent of $11,000 for their stolen babies. $11,000. The price of a stolen life, a stolen child. $11,000. Does it make it right? 
Does evil go away for $11,000? Our lives redeemed, our babies restored for $11,000. Sin is deep and dark and deadly and powerful. And if it's going to be undone, someone is going to have to die. And so Paul said, so God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the sin offering for our sin, so that we might be reconciled to God through Christ. Someone has died. And because he did, Paul says, we have been offered the very real possibility of being made new and being reconciled with God. The Bible says this in dozens of different ways. Way, way back in Ezekiel, God spoke through Ezekiel, said that we can get new hearts. Not hearts made of stone, but new, fresh, tender hearts. Jesus, speaking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, Jesus said, you can be born again and start a new life. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, you can have life, new life that is abundant and overflowing and joy-filled and new. And Paul said in what I read, we can become new people, he said. The old is gone and the new has come. And of course, it's absolutely true that all these experiences that are described in the Bible, all of them, all of them are part of this Bible teachers call this now, not yet promise of the Bible. And it means that all of these promises, they are all absolutely true now. They will never be any truer than they are now. But they are not yet finished. And they won't be finished in this lifetime. So we're new now, completely new, but we won't be finished being made new in this lifetime. It's kind of like being married. 37 years ago, I walked into a Lancaster church, a rather self-absorbed, inexperienced, somewhat selfish, rather shallow, very much single young man. And one hour later, I walked out of that church, still a rather self-absorbed, inexperienced, somewhat selfish, rather shallow, but very much married young man. I would never ever be any more married than I was at that moment on a June 19th Saturday. You don't get more married as the years go by. That's the now part of this promise. Married is married. It happens all at once. Being born again is the now part of this experience. Being made new is the now part of this. It happens now once and it's done. But thank God, 37 years later, 
I think Donna would tell you, and I knew she was going to be here, so I knew I was going to have her listening to this. Donna would tell you, I hope, that I am a much better married man than I was 37 years ago. That's the not yet part of this. It ain't over until the fat lady sings, right? God is not done with us yet, but thank God that in Christ we are made new now and being made new forever. So, do you want this new life, this new heart, Do you want to start all over again? Do you want to know a God who is and who lives and who loves? Then listen to Paul's appeal and to mine. Come, be reconciled to God who is reconciling to himself the world, no longer counting people's sins against them in Jesus Christ. So let's pray. God, um, this is in some ways such a simple thing and such a magnificent thing. We can talk about the cross, and yet, God, to understand it really takes us forever and takes us a lifetime. God, I simply pray that um, that all of us will understand that if we want to connect with you and want to know you and want a relationship with you, it will start no other way than through reconciliation. And the cross makes this possible. So God, in a few minutes, we'll be remembering um, the cross and taking the time to remember the broken body and the shed blood, reflecting on the cost of this reconciliation. God, I also know I have no doubt that there's probably a handful of people for whom this is a foreign thing or it's a thing that's never been done or a thing that's never been understood and that there are people kind of on the outside looking in. And God, I want to pray that for those people, that you'd be drawing them to you, helping them understand that this is accessible, that they can have this new life and have a relationship with you through Jesus Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Monday, I spent Monday morning up at our farm uh, cutting down some trees, getting ready for next uh, winter with firewood. And when I took the first tree down, um, my chainsaw swung and I took a chunk out of my knee. And first time I've ever done that. Now, you shouldn't say ooh because it's, it really wasn't bad. But I didn't know it, okay, at the moment. All I knew was that my, jean, my pants were ripped and that it looked ugly. So I kind of, because um, I have my, my grandfather's, I love my grandfather, but I have his temper. <laughs> so I threw the chainsaw. Uh, still running, and um, um, hopped in my car and drove down to the farm and kind of, you know, spread my pants and looked at my knee, and it really wasn't bad at all. But there was this this moment of, like, thinking, do I really want to look 
You know, do you really what's, want to see what's, what's going to be under there? Because I'm, um, I'm not a person that really likes all that kind of stuff. I don't mind it so much, but I don't, I don't like it all that much. So can you imagine uh, being a disciple and you're sitting at a table with Jesus and he is in the middle of a Passover meal and he takes a a loaf of bread and he breaks it, gives it to his disciples and as they're breaking it and eating it, he says, now guys, from this day forward, this is my broken body. This is a body broken for you. I'm not sure how a person hears that, especially for the first time. Now, we've heard it, many of us, all our lives, and it's lost its punch, it's lost its power. But to hear a person say, here's a piece of bread, you're going to eat this, and what you're taking inside of you is a broken body. And it was his way of saying, guys, if you want to be part of me, if you want to be my follower, the only way to do this is to recognize I'm going to be broken for you. And it's graphic. It's not just words, but it's graphic. And it was his way of saying, if you want reconciliation, there's a cost. Because sin is horrific. It's dark, and it's deep, and it's deadly, and it's powerful. And I've had it living in here. And if it's to go away, something has to die. And someone did. And so Jesus said, take this, my body, and eat it. And when you do, remember me. So let's take the broken body of Jesus and eat it, remembering him. Does everybody have a cup that wants to commune? So we don't normally think um, of, of blood as being kind of a cleansing thing. We usually think of blood as being something that actually makes us dirty, not clean. Uh, but this past week, I was reading up on the coronavirus And it took me to an interesting article about the Ebola crisis. Do you remember the Ebola crisis a couple years ago? Um, Some of you, do you remember the name Dr. Kent Brantley? He was the guy who was actually flown to the States. He was working in, I think, Liberia. I can't remember where he was working. And he came down with Ebola. They flew him to the States. It was live news when he arrived in Georgia. Remember that at all? So here's the thing. I didn't know this, Um, but... um, One of the reasons that Dr. Kent Brantley lives is because in Africa, before he left, before he left, there was uh, a Liberian man who had gotten Ebola and he lived. And so they took his blood and they, they, I don't know the process, but from his blood, they got his plasma and his plasma had in it the antibodies for the virus, and they gave that blood to Dr. Kent Brantley. And then Dr. Kent Brantley, when he recovered from the virus, they did the same thing. They took his blood and they gave it to other people that had the Ebola virus. 
And in that way, blood from someone else saved lives. People who were going to die lived. And in the same way, on that last night that Jesus spent with his disciples, when they were passing a cup of wine, he said to them, gentlemen, from this day forward, this is my blood. And it's my blood that will save your life. And every time we drink this blood, we remember Jesus Christ, whose blood gives us life. So would you take and drink, gratefully remembering the shed blood of Jesus? Let's pray. God, thank you for what you did through your son, Jesus Christ, that through his death, you were in the process of reconciling a whole world to yourself. God, thank you that Jesus gave us these reminders, reminders of a body that was broken, reminders of, shed, of blood that was shed so that we can enjoy life with you now and forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about Horizon Church, please go to the website of horizonconnect.org. Have a great week.